Jim Joyce. Happy Wednesday, yeah. man. Happy Wednesday, man. We're another. We're, this is a this is a big episode today, isn't it? It sure is. Big five zero. You gotta <laughs> you gotta do that five times, man. Come on. <laughs> it's like I, we're teaching our. Um, we have a new you know pandemic puppy in the house, and uh, we're teaching him how to like take his paw and <laughs> give us high five. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so my 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 younger one you got to do the little and then the dog flips my younger one was training uh our dog when when it was a pup so we'll we'll, we'll oh, really? show that yeah in the dog flips the dog flips uh, yeah flips <laughs> i mean you know when whenever but um but big big week i also uh, i think you mentioned your next week you're going to us so i think ne next week we'll be doing this uh, you'll be where and where, where yep. where's home where are you going that's the game plan i'm going to go to boston i'm going to go to boston see some of the, the health beacon team there you know see awesome. the family and i guess so i got to get my pcr test and hopefully on my on my way to boston or there there'll be a few extra vaccinations you know available for um for, uh, I mean, it's, it's honestly amazing. Um, we, we were talking about this too. come home uh, because I mean, Europe is definitely lagging behind on all of this. Um, yep. But it's um, I, everybody I'm talking to. It's like, oh, yeah, I got it or I'm getting it. Um, and, and so you know, the new administration everyone. is really rolling this out. So and, and the numbers are coming down. I, I think I, I don't really watch it anymore. But honestly, this is a C-19 free zone. <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in other news and as always uh i just like literally earlier today i watched uh russell glass uh from ginger um on uh, just demasa's wtf right so okay okay 200 million plus at a 1 billion valuation um i'd actually you know so i recommend people watch it because it you know to me the question was always like supply and demand right i mean mental health is important but like i you know, right. how many professionals are there, right? Because we've seen everything from talk space to everything else. Big week, I saw also, you know, just on Monday alone, it was like row 500 million, patient ping got sold for 500 million, Evidation right. Health, you know, congrats to Deborah and uh, Christine for raising 153. Um, yeah. I don't know, I'm surprised it, it was like not seven SPACs launched <laughs> by right. Tuesday. Right. Like, I, you know, I'm fascinated just also by just the sheer amount of like, you know, we'll say kind of, it's still, is it, is it risk capital, like risk capital going into the space? It's still relatively like, cause, cause most of these businesses are massive, you know, um, in terms of revenue, sales, size, I mean, there's a few, but, you know, so just the sheer numbers being applied against still relatively small businesses, right. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and, and that's why I, you know, I mean, we'll see. I think uh, a lot of this, I mean, there's obviously lo lots of, uh, and you know what, Let, maybe save that discussion for a guest because I'm, al I'm always very curious on, you know, um, and, and I think this was at a Health Excel dinner maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And we're like, hey, do you remember this? Uh, yeah, you know, he or she raised so-and-so. And, you know, my question right. is, the raises are great. What is the actual output and outcomes and impact? And, you know, how do we start measuring this and really value, right? So, right. but right. with that, and because we, we're all in this space for health consumers and patients, uh, maybe you do a quick one and then I will start letting Lily stairs in, but 
Yeah, no, I'm excited. Yeah, so we have Lily Stairs joining us, and she's going to do a much more eloquent job of introducing herself than I could. But she is uh, an inspirational person. Um, yet she has a very good uh, kind of profile. There she is. Hey, Lily. Well, how are you? So good. So good. How are you? Good that we're seeing you now. How are things? Good, good. This is so fun. Um, I, I like how you guys jump right in. And I didn't even I don't know if your viewers know that, like, there's no prep for this. We kind of just jump right in. And I love that. <laughs> we just we just shoot it. And good good to meet you, Lily. And, um, you know, before before you like actually popped in, uh, Jim was saying how you're such an inspirational person. So I'm, oh. I'm like, I've been really looking forward to this discussion today. Yeah, so I yeah I I wanted you on for a while on it because I was thinking of like you're told like when we think about shot at digital health other than you know my co-host here Eugene who kind of is yeah actually <laughs> taking the shots I'm doing I'm back to Japanese whiskey today so uh, it is seven p.m. Yeah, this is a <laughs> I'm, I will say I'm jealous because, uh, you know, you did say it is a shot of digital health and typically I would be all in on having a drink, even, even at two, I would do it for you guys to Eastern, but I am speaking at an FDA ad board today and I really have to keep it together right after this. So I'm <laughs> absolutely <laughs> understood. All good. Let's not blow it. Let's not blow it. <laughs> but yeah. So, no, I'm really excited to this because because I so I know you through our mutual friend and health beacon uh, U.S. leader, Laurel Hamilton. And um, and every time I every time I've interacted with you or even like online or when you've, I've seen you at the office, you're always like you're giving us yeah, it's the shot of digital health from Lily, Lily style. <laughs> and Laura always speaks so highly. But I, I, I got a chance to listen to some of your like podcasts and some of the work you're doing. So maybe just maybe if you could introduce yourself for our uh, millions of listeners. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we're worldwide, right? I mean, you guys, you guys are very international. Um, so I am Lily Stairs and I got involved in the healthcare space about a decade ago when I was diagnosed with multiple autoimmune diseases. So I consider myself a three-time autoimmune patient living with psoriasis, Crohn's disease, and psoriatic arthritis. Um, it was a really tumultuous, road to diagnosis and then um, went through a lot of treatments to get where I am today. But I'm, I'm thrilled to say that I've been in medically controlled remission for about seven years now. And that's thanks to our amazing, um, you know, healthcare ecosystem that has developed medications and, and resources for me to access. So um, that's how I, yeah, yeah, that's how I got involved in this space. So uh, I've been working with pharma biotech, health tech, and patient advocacy nonprofits for the past 10 years. I work to build programs that empower and educate patients. And currently I do that at my consulting firm, which I launched last January, right before the pandemic, uh, Patient Authentic. And so uh, I work across the healthcare ecosystem to support patients. And I'm also currently serving in the role as interim CEO at the American Autoimmune Related Diseases Association, um, where I've been a board member for the past four and a half years. Awesome. Woo. I mean, yeah. amazing journey. And I, I, I'm actually just curious how much of that you did, quote unquote, self, um, I'll say self hacking as a patient, right? Uh, because um, I think there's just, um, I mean, there's so many cases we hear, right? Um, that, you know, the healthcare system was 
not as helpful. And unless you take charge of it, and, and it's a little bit about the patient communities, right? So some of the patients yeah. helping them each other. Totally. So, um, you know, I, it's, I'm going to use this opportunity because it's March, it's autoimmune awareness month. Uh, and I want to, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what we experience as autoimmune patients. Uh, so I was diagnosed at seven with psoriasis and my psoriasis, it looked like little chicken pox all over my body, which was, admit, and it's itchy. It's, I was going in for light treatments. Um, you like literally stand in the light box at the dermatologist. My mom would drive me in every morning before elementary school. Uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of people think that skin conditions aren't a big quote unquote, aren't a big deal, but they do really deeply impact you, you know, mental health, physical health. Uh, and what's interesting is that 30% of people who are diagnosed with psoriasis actually end up developing psoriatic arthritis. Um, but nobody ever told us that. And so I lived, you know, I went for my, you know, up until I was 19, suddenly I, I had this knee pain and we thought it was maybe a workout injury. And then suddenly the pain started to escalate in my whole body. So I was waking up every morning. I was feeling achy. And then there was one morning I woke up and I literally couldn't move. Um, and my mom was dressing me and feeding me. And, uh, you know, we were trying to go through all this, all these appointments. Is it parvovirus? Is it Lyme? Like what, what's going on? Um, and I did finally get the psoriatic arthritis diagnosis. So that took time. And I think that had we known that psoriasis was an autoimmune condition and arthritis, there was a chance I could get that. I would have gotten to diagnosis quicker. Um, the final diagnosis Crohn's at least knock on wood final for now, (laughs) a lot of people with, uh, you know, multiple autoimmune diseases do get more. And so, uh, I, and this is part of, you know, what I'd like to, to call attention to as well is that it's very difficult for women who are diagnosed with autoimmune diseases. So about 75% of the people with an autoimmune condition are women. Um, and I ended up developing this stomach pain that came out of nowhere. Uh, so awful, debilitating, harrowing pain. Um, I couldn't even drink water without feeling pain. And I was in and out of the ER three times in one weekend. I was in and out in the ER three times in one weekend because they kept sending me home and saying, you know, are you happy at home? Are you happy at school? Are you happy? Like it's all in my head, right? That this is, this can't be like, you know, we're not seeing anything. This makes no sense. Finally, they admitted me and, um, you know, talk about digital health and, and med device and all of these things. What ended up being like the saving grace was this pill cam that I took and it took pictures as it moved through my body every three seconds. It's like a little, it's like a little pill with with a video in it. And they found bleeding ulcers in my small intestine. And that's when I received the Crohn's disease diagnosis. And so, um, you know, but what happens is that we are consistently seeing disbelief and dismissal of women, um, you know, even worse for women of color in, in our healthcare system. And it is causing massive delays in diagnosis and then delays in getting to the right treatment. And what happens is when you, when you delay diagnosis, these conditions, these autoimmune conditions, as they keep going untreated and uncontrolled, they spiral out of control and you can end up with irreversible damage. Um, that, you know, can't be fixed and need surgery or, um, you know, ultimately you just live in chronic pain the rest of your life. Amazing. 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 So I'm glad you're in remission. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. And and that's biologics and treatments and self-care and all those things. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm drinking to yeah. that too. Thank you, know. you. Yes. Yeah. And uh, hey, a healthy glass of wine too. <laughs> so that's my self care. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it certainly is. Um, I, I am on a biologic, which has just been, I, I mean, biologics have been revolutionary for the treatment of autoimmune conditions and, and a lot of other diseases as well. Um, so I really function completely normally. I mean, I'm running my own company. I'm, I'm active every day. I'm able to spend time with family and friends. Like it's, it's truly a gift. Yeah. So yeah. we, we had um, Melinda Decker as a guest on the shot. Um, and then I just had her on my DTX podcast uh, with Meta, right? Uh, so you, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Miami, right? And Meta I would, and I were on the phone this morning. There, there you go. It, it is, it is, it is a small, small world. world. I figured um, th there's definitely a connection. Um, and so to me, I'm very much looking at Miami as sort of managing your existing conditions, right? And with hopes of some remission, uh, reversing to remission. Um, and so I'd love to get your thoughts on it first yeah. uh, on, on that. And maybe Miami specifically, I don't know if, you know, if, if you can talk about it, but yeah. I would also secondarily love to understand how do we actually prevent and diagnose this quicker or earlier, yeah. right? So yeah. Sides, okay, all right, two parts. All right, let's start with Miami. So. Miami is one of my favorite digital health solutions out there. And I see a lot, um, you know, that I come across, whether it be through my work or people reaching out to me, we'll talk about health beacon too, Jim, because I really like health beacon. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll start with Miami because I was, so I actually did the program, the Miami program. And what I love about Miami is that it is marrying health or tech with a human touch. And I think that digital health and health tech, it's, it's brilliant. It's moving the needle. I think it's essential, but we cannot lose the human touch. That is such a critical piece of who we are, but also, um, you know, within healthcare, you're making really critical decisions that are sometimes life and death that are impacting quality of life. Um, having a person to hold you accountable makes it and to talk to you makes a huge difference. So I actually got to work with Matta directly. Um, she was my health coach. And I, so I was kind of an early adopter, if you will. Um, and I learned a lot about my health through that pro, uh, through my, about my autoimmune diseases and what triggers through that program. Um, yeah. what I like about awesome. mine too, is that, uh, they want to be a compliment. So, I, I want us to be bringing Western medicine and complementary medicine together because it's so, it's so important that we're doing both, that we're taking care of our bodies, but we also take medicine when we need it. And so um, I've, I've found that a lot of solutions, sometimes on the complementary medicine side, they try to say, don't take your medicine, don't do exercise. We don't want that. We want somebody who's going to say, we want you to do both. And, and my knee does a great job with that. And so, um, I did the program. It was really easy. I loved the app and I worked with Meta and I learned what, what was, you know, what foods are like, not so great for me. I have to be honest, wine we found wasn't amazing <laughs> for me, but I was like, Meta, I'm oh, sorry. I'm not no, giving it no. up. <laughs> I was like, this is why I have my biologic. <laughs> did, did you, did you find leave quietly, any... leave quietly, like clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you yeah, find yeah, any yeah. alcohol that you're okay with? I'm just, I'm honestly curious or no, not really. No, no right? I mean, it definitely was more. So, so the other thing is that my biologic has me like in full remission. So I had to pay attention to really little things that, you know, yeah. I was like, my body just felt like a little like, eh, like when you eat, 
when anybody eats mac and cheese, nobody really feels good after they eat mac and cheese, <laughs> yeah. right? If you're listening to your body. And so it, it was kind of the classic. It was more like gluten and dairy and soy is a big issue for me. I actually avoid soy, but I try to follow an 80-20 rule where I'm 80% of the time I'm I'm avoiding my triggers and 20% of the time I'm I'm letting myself yep. eat what I want, go out. And, and right. that's so important for quality of life and, and mental health. And how are you yep. thinking about, like, I, I remember I went on some, I was reading some strange kind of book I picked up. I, I brought it up in the podcast. Remember it was called The Island. And it was about this like little island that was in Asia that was that had the perfect mix of like Eastern and Western medicine on this little like captured island that I talked about. And I remember being fascinated by it. But so are you like as like president of and you call it Arda. Is it Arda? Is that the right? Arda, yeah. Did I did I go back and yeah, that's our it's so the American Autoimmune Related Diseases Association. We call it Arda because yeah. it's a long name. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. our acronym. Are, are, do you introduce are you introducing like you talk about complementary medicine, like you know. Are you introducing kind of Eastern, you know, philosophy, you know, into that alongside the Western or where's where do you come down on that? Well, I, you know, I, as interim CEO, I don't know that I can speak for the organization as a whole, but I can speak as, as me and as what I believe. Um, and I do feel that we need to be integrating both, but it needs to be done safely. And unfortunately, what I've seen a lot is that Western medicine says, just do Western medicine and Eastern medicine says just do Eastern medicine. And I don't believe right. that's how it should be. Um, but we are certainly at Arda. We are working to like, we have in our prospectus this year that we want to fund a webinar around nutrition and autoimmune disease. Um, because yeah. we, we want to be having these conversations and helping patients to do it within a safe way, because a lot of what, you know, people are getting advertisements on Instagram, like try this tea and only drink this tea. And it well, I mean, this is like diet culture too, right? right? It's not even just autoimmune, but they'll say this will heal your autoimmune disease. This will, and it's like, well, no, we can't, you don't cure or heal. It's, you know, you go into remission. Um, and so I think that we have to be careful of some of that snake oil type stuff out there. So we're trying to combat that. And um, we have a summit coming up in the fall where we're going to be integrating, um, you know, conversations around clinical trials and traditional medicine. And we're also going to be bringing in chefs to do cooking sessions and um, meditation and wellness, wellness people. So absolutely, it's something that we, we are encouraging both. And have you come you know, across Eugene's company, uh, Eugene and Marina's uh, health coach? Are you? Yeah, are health you coach. And, and it was actually interesting because, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, just to touch on that um, being accountable to a human being is important. And like, you know, Marina always says, you know, like human eye and that empathy is still better than AI today, right? Um, because Ooh, until those, so it's like human eye, ver not versus, but together with AI is actually the perfect combo, right? And yeah. I, you know, again, AI being a buzzword, but just tech. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting also you brought up as we were talking about like Western and Eastern and you said, well, we're even gonna have a webinar on food, right? And like to us, as especially like as I've been diving into the kind of health coaching and the practice of it and reaching and setting your goals and the wellness vision, like to me, food as medicine, like what you put into your body, right, uh, is super important. And I loved your comment earlier, like, you know, who feels good after mac and cheese, right? <laughs> and you actually don't know how bad you feel until you actually feel good, right? Like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened with my, um, I mean, that also is what happened just with my autoimmune diseases generally. And they, they always say, you don't, 
realize what you have until it's gone. And so my, my health conditions, like not having your health when that's taken away from you, it's one of the most terrifying things. And so you learn to be grateful, but, but yes, if you actually start paying attention, absolutely. Like you do really start to, to understand the way that your body works. Um, and the food is medicine. Yes. I, I mean, I think that that's something that we need to keep having conversations around again, in tandem with some of the conventional Western medicine, but, um, you know, Meta would always say Meta who founded my me, she always said, you know, we, we talk about like, we put these little tiny pills into our body, but like, think about how much food you, you intake mm-hmm. on a day versus that like little tiny pill, <laughs> think about how much food you're putting into your body. And just thinking about some of the right. processed crap that we eat. I mean, you don't have, Eugene, I'm not sure where you're based, but Jim, you're in Ireland, right? Yeah. I we're, mean, in Bar- we're in Barcelona. Oh, nice. I mean, I do think I, and I don't know all the ins and outs of food, but I do think you guys have a bit more regulation and you, you don't have quite as much of the processed type stuff we have here in the States. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the, US the short answer is correct. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are doing it. I had a nutritionist I was seeing once who told me that, um, you know, she had a patient who had issues with gluten in the U.S., but when she went to visit Europe, she went to Italy, and she's eating pasta, no problem. Right. Yeah, like I'm, like I'm, my my wife is Italian, and she's from Venice, and we, go, you know, we go to, I, I've always found the, you know, the, like everyone celebrates the Italian uh, diet, and, but what, what I found fascinating about it always was just the level of care they put into meal preparation. Like, I remember meeting, like, the my in-laws for the first time and they arrived and we were living in New York, I think at the time. And, and they just sat there and all they did was, you know, all the husbands were sent out to scout for uh, food sources, you know, so they were, when they went running through Manhattan, you know, looking for quality of food, inspecting it, how freshness, what was going to be available. And they were just planning out their meals like in Manhattan and that's all they were doing. And, and then they opened their suitcase and, you know, completely against all airline, you know, transport food policies, you know, it was, it was loaded with food, you know, they had like all kinds of food inside their suitcases and they just started preparing pasta immediately and they ate like, you know, gods, you know, they just ate phenomenally. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all of them, all of them trim, fit, good looking, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, you're like, yeah, you have to, it's, so, it's something to think about. So we, we have to like, health is holistic. Like us, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, health is holistic. We've got to be looking at all of these different factors and, and how that contributes. Um, you know, and, and we think about even food from we, we look at obesity and type two diabetes being a massive issue in the US, um, in particular. And uh, you know, a lot of that does tie back to food, but that's also um then again ties back to equity and access and, you know, people who are living in food deserts and, and don't have that access. That's a, that's a health issue. That's a public health issue. And that's something that we need to be working on and addressing. Yeah. And I hope tech that these brilliant minds can come in and work on. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. So I, I like, I, I want to, I, I always wanted to ask you this question, uh, Lily, which, which was, okay. So, so yeah. So first, so I, as I said to Eugene, like you're one of my idols because of this idea. I love this idea of of taking a potential vulnerability, you know, in making it your strength, right? And and like, and especially it sounds like you had to do that at a relatively young age, right? You're coming in there and it's like so, so defining, but now it's like, so something that would have been, you know, completely debilitating becomes the source for your business and the source for your energy, enthusiasm, relationships and, 
you know, all these things. So like, how, what was that like? You know, did you consciously decide to do that? Was it a, was it a slow, you know, step into that where you become, you know, this empowered patient that's helping others? That's a great question. Uh, it's, I've always had a heart for the underdog and been driven by doing for others. That's been a part of who I am. So when I started, uh, or, or back um, in high school, I started an anti-bullying program because my brother is a gay man who was really relentlessly bullied growing up. And that always broke my heart. And I said, I need to do something about this. So I started an anti-bullying initiative that, you know, we ended up touring around the, the area, bringing this assembly that we put together. Uh, and so, that's always been a part of who I am to help others. And I'm also an all or nothing type of person. And when I received this, the, the final diagnosis Crohn's, I was literally in the hospital bed and I can truly point to a moment. I pulled out my computer and I started Googling all of, you know, Crohn's, psoriatic arthritis, psoriasis, and what comes up, but autoimmune. And I never heard the term before in my life. And I was so angry that I had never heard the term because I'm looking at the numbers and it, it, there are over 50 million Americans living with an autoimmune disease. And it, that's about for, for perspective, that's about twice as many as cancer. And we all understand and empathize when somebody says they have a cancer diagnosis or a loved one has cancer. Uh, and so I, I was upset that I didn't know. And so I didn't know what an advocate was at that time but I knew that's what I was going to be and what I was going to do. And I really, I, my mom was yelling at me to like put away my computer because I was trying to work. I'm not hopped up on all this morphine and um, she's, and I'm like trying to, and I'm coming up with all these ideas. I was in college. I was like, I'm going to start a group on campus and I'm going to do this, this, and this. It, it just, it was immediate for me. And I am grateful for that because it's helped me to cope in so many ways. Um, and I, I really have been able to turn something that, in the eyes of many could be considered a weakness or, or a struggle. And I've been able to turn it into a power and a strength. Right. And do you ever, do you ever some moments, do you say that's tricky? Sorry. You, you... No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's a fine line because my personal and professional are so blurred there. Right. There is no, it's just me. And in many ways, that's a beautiful thing. Because, you know, my business name is Patient Authentic. I like to think of myself as like this, I bring my authentic self to work. But that also means that I, I bring a lot of emotion and passion. And that's that can be draining at times. Uh, so I, I think it, it sometimes it can be a double edged sword, but I, I wouldn't trade it. You know, it, it, it's interesting. Like I've always thought, um, of course, we have, you know, our, our family, friends, the professional, but to me, it's like, I love that because if you're not authentic, A, people can tell and B, I just, I don't know personally, I don't know how to sort of separate it. Right. I mean, and I'm not talking about taking time off. I'm not talking about, it's like, on um, people ask me like, how do you use Twitter? Like, do you put only professional stuff? And I'm like, no, I just, I put whatever I think about. Right. And it might be, you know, digital health related. It might be <laughs> something completely yeah. different, but I, I'm actually like, I'm going to build on, on Jim's um, sort of question, right? So you, you're, you're laying there, right? Like Googling stuff. Like, did you know at the time, I love that term of like hashtag chronic boss, oh, right? Um, yeah. I like, I, 
is this something like that you sort of came up with recently or like maybe not the terms, but like, you're like, you know what, I'm going to freaking do this. I want to be the chronic boss, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that in particular is interesting. So I'll give you a fun fact that I don't tell everyone, but I way are millions of I, listeners and are millions will of hear it now. So internationally. Um, yeah. Uh, I was originally autoimmune Barbie when I was first diagnosed and I had a whole blog and I had, because I just saw that was what other patients were doing. You know, they sort of identify themselves as different, different, uh, names. And I, I was like, that's what I'm going to be. Uh, and so I, so that's kind of how I started but the chronic boss in particular came about a couple of years ago as I was, so within the patient advocate realm, you will see a lot of patient advocates identify themselves as something. So you have, um, like, you know, a friend of mine who is, uh, or a couple of my friends. So I have Brooke Abbott, who's a phenomenal IBD advocate. She goes under the crazy Creole mommy. There's Amber Tresca, who's under about IBD. You have, uh, you know, just all these different advocates who have, you know, they kind of had an umbrella for how they identified. And so, and so I, um, but I, I wanted to be defined by how, by, by that strength that I, and that power that I had created. And I wanted to create a movement around this idea that no, your chronic illness doesn't make you weaker. It makes you stronger. And right. that you, and, and this whole idea that I've turned my diagnosis into a career essentially. And so that was where the chronic boss theme came up, kind of like hashtag lady boss. It was hashtag chronic boss. And I haven't rolled this out yet. And I just in this past year have started to work more on, on, on this, but I am hoping to start to feature different women living with chronic illness and, and feature them as the chronic bosses they are, because a lot of us are, are creating careers out of this and I'm thrilled about it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. We use like, I, I, I've been using it for years. I've been using it for two companies, you know? So my first company that I set up was a, a, a patient services company and and we, we said that the patients that we wanted to treat, and you probably have heard this before, it's not, I don't think I came up with it, but it was like that you are the chronically well. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so that, you know, that, they, that these people that, you know, other than the fact that they have severe multiple sclerosis or other than the fact that they have severe rheumatoid arthritis, they still have their lives and, you know, we want to keep them chronically well, you know, and, and not being defined. And, and that was, you know, that, and then, you know, in, in health beacon, you know, from point of care, my last company in health beacon, we just a carry forward. We're just supporting that same group of people, uh, you know, in that same way, and then not letting them have to be defined by their, or choosing how they're defined by their condition, I guess, you know, so I, you say yeah. that, you know, I never heard you say the chronically well, I mean, it's interesting because Marina, I mean, you, you know, sorry, but Marina always hated um, and I mean, people are different when people call her a patient when she was going through cancer. She's like, that's a, j- a, just a slice of my life. It's not my whole life. And I'm still me, Marina. And it's a diagnosis that we'll fight through, right? But I'm not, you know, so I, yeah. I love that chronically well. Me too. I like it. You better go trademark that. <laughs> you can have it. I get, it's all for sharing. It's all yeah. I, I, chronically well dot health. <laughs> I registered. Boom. Done. And so I'm not sure. I mean, you probably have loads of questions, but like, what do you think? I like, do. I'm trying to pace myself. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go. <laughs> no, you go. No. Um, all right, fine. I'll go. Um, so I actually want to pick on a term empowering patients. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm actually curious, what does that actually mean to you, right? Um, just, uh, I, I feel that the term and, you know, my two cents have been kind of thrown around quite a bit, um, especially by sort of a lot of large companies and, you know, a lot of check boxes and done, you know, we empower patient, but peeling the onion, there's a lot of times nothing, right? So I'm just, I'm really curious on you two cents on that or more than two cents actually. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's just like the term patient-centric. It's, it is empowering patients is a buzz, buzz phrase, buzzword, whatever you want to call it. Same thing as patient-centric. Everybody wants to be patient-centric. And now, I mean, honestly, to a certain extent, um, DE&I has been, it's important. Um, but I think that some people are using it more as a buzzword and not doing the real work behind it, which is unfortunately what also has happened in some cases with patient centricity. Uh, in, in other cases, it's not. In other cases, people are taking the time to put in the work to do the real work. And I was listening to your episode with Andre Blackman this morning, oh, yeah. where you talked a little bit about that, doing the work. Um, so I'm always, I, I, I think empowering patients I do like the term empowering, and I think it's important um, because it, it, to me, it means that we are giving patients the strength and the knowledge to speak up, uh, to make informed decisions. So to, to speak up with their physician about what, what it is that they want in their care, to speak up on Capitol Hill um, about fighting policies that don't put patients first. Um, it's, it's helping to give them a voice and it's giving them the tools. So that's sort of how I, how I look at empowering patients. Um, but I do think we need to come up with some new ways to say it. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, again, uh, back to authenticity, you know, which brands companies are really doing it um, versus just using it as a buzzword. So at the end of the day, yeah. I think to your point, I like your, you know, speak up and actually get stuff done. And the terms that you use to get there almost become irrelevant, right? Um, so you're right because people can see through it. People can see through when it's not genuine, when it's not authentic. Yeah, but it's it's also, I mean, it's kind of it's a little bit painful, right? Like when people kind of when they you know it's like they kind of grab on to these things, you know, when you're sitting in the boardroom and it's like, oh, you know, you know, you know, this dance and ceremony around it, but at least it's there. I, you know, I, I probably mixed feelings about it because I sit in so many boardrooms where they yeah, yeah. talk about patient centricity and you can see that, you know, fundamentally they struggle to get themselves in the context of someone else, right? Like, and, or, or even respect that they're not in that context, you know, that they can't, they can't understand, you know, what they're going through. Um, and it's, yeah. Like, well, yeah, I agree. And, and what I've found is that in boardrooms, in high level, you know, when you're kind of speaking to people at the top, I understand there are business needs, there are, there right. are key business outcomes that we are striving for, but it's about how do we connect the dots to doing what's right to also driving those key out business outcomes and showing that by doing what's right, we, right. we will be more successful. And so a lot of the times it is connecting those dots. And I don't think that, um, I, I think it's taken some time and I think it's still in the works of people understanding how to do that. Because a lot of those of us who are good at connecting and, and being empathetic and being genuine and building those relationships, we may not be so good at talking about the key business outcomes and connecting that back to the number side. And so I let, you know, I, I always, I try to talk to people about that and, and have them frame their thinking because when I work with 
folks who are in these types of roles, like patient advocacy engagement roles, they'll just be like, well, I don't understand why we, you know, like this is just the right thing to do. And I said, yeah, it's the right thing to do, but, but this is also a business and we're not going to stay alive if we can't show, show, we can't, we can't show metrics. We can't show why we're doing this. So it's, I'm trying to teach people how to connect the dots. And I think we need to keep pushing people to do that. I I was thinking the other day, how, how the, how it's so much, it's such a nicer time like, you know, like, like we're looking at, like, you know, we're in our next, you know, kind of raise as a company and, you know, and there's all these metrics that we're held accountable as a company now. So it's like, you know, you know, what are you doing on diversity and what are you doing on sustainability and what are you doing on, you know, inclusion and health equity and, and it's actually kind of pleasant, you know, in some ways, you know, like other than when it's, when it's yielded as a weapon against you, it's obviously not very pleasant. I mean, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you're not this and you're not that and you're, you know, but if it's wielded it, like if it's kind of like, it's actually a pleasant way because, you know, if you were running a company, you know, whatever, a coal mine, you know, like 70 years ago <laughs> and you're watching people like, you know, gacking as they come out of the, you know, you might've felt pretty bad, but you're like, hey, we got to get the coal, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't have a choice here, you know? So it's kind of a nice time to run a company in some ways, you know? No, it is. But, it's good that these themes are being pushed and that that's what we're that's what we're aiming for. Absolutely. But again, I just want to comment, Jim, right? Nobody's actually pushing you, right? This is you and the team authentically driving this. So and I think that's the difference also, right? Because a lot of times it's just it's being pushed because it's a buzzword or something like that. And again, back to authenticity um, and being authentic about actually doing these things and getting it done as you're scaling, as you're growing, as you're, you know, right. wherever stage you're at. Right. So, but you know, who's inspiring is it's, it's, it's kind of the younger people. They just walk in with like people that, you know, they can be kind of frustrating because they don't have, you know, they don't work maybe. Thanks Jim. We worked, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but they're kind of inspiring because they come in with all these like, you know, they're just a little, they're just a lot more sophisticated than I would have been at age 25, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. We're doing, doing right by the millennial generation. It sounds like then you're working with some, some good ones. So let, I I have maybe like one, one more. I mean, I have a hundred more, but um, we, we are sort of trying to keep this under two hours an episode. So (laughs) Um, I'll come back. I'll come back for your, your next season. Um, so you also work with startups, right? Um, mm-hmm. and I'd love your, I mean, obviously, you know, we had the whole discussion in Miami, but like, um, where, where's the whole listening versus hearing and maybe some of your, some of your experiences in the startups, uh, from really just as, again, as a patient advocate, as a, as a co- hashtag chronic boss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a great question. Uh, Oof, it spans the gamut. So I, in some ways, I think that the people coming out of Silicon Valley, which is where a lot of the health tech is happening right now. I mean, it's still, you know, we're seeing other hubs that are coming through, but I, I do think that folks who are coming from outside of healthcare, there is this mindset of user centricity. Like I, I do think that in Silicon Valley, we are trained to user test and user test and user test, whereas I don't think that's something that we see in healthcare. Uh, it's It's been a key part of the reason we've had to push so hard for patient centricity is because nobody was ever asking the patient. Um, but on, on the consumer facing side, I think that tech has been a bit better about that. Um, and so I think that there's some hope there, but that your point to 
uh, hearing versus listening. It's the same concept as in pharma and biotech. You, you can't just do it to check a box. And you have to really value those insights and you have to. So I, I think about how, um, you know, companies will just try to sometimes I think that they take advantage of patients and caregivers and it's important that we're compensating them for their time and we're really sitting them down to get their feedback and incorporate it and, and having somebody present within the company. That's another big piece is like, do you have a person who is patient advocacy? or patient centricity or patient engagement focused who can help be your guide and be the compass to help you stay on track and be a part of those business decisions. At, at Clara Health, one of the companies that I work with um, and I was there, I was one of their founding members as a head of patient advocacy brought on really early, like before they had even, they just had a couple hundred thousand in the bank. Uh, I, we, I was with them in Boston. We went out to San Francisco. That's when I lived in San Francisco for a few years with them after we got funded. Um, and I've since come back to work with them and as part of my consultancy, I'm an advisor to them. And, uh, you know, having patient advocacy at the table from the beginning in a leadership position was instrumental in guiding the business decisions that we made. And mm -hmm. I believe that has been a huge advantage and the company will tell you the CEO and the COO will tell you like that it has been an advantage to them, a business advantage to have had patient advocacy from the beginning. Um, and so I do think that it's kind of putting, putting your money where your mouth is, right? And, and investing in having that type of person. So anyone who's got that type of role within their company, I usually think that they're, they're pretty legit. Yeah. And I guess it's all about, again, up, quote, obsessing on how you can solve that individual or the group of right. individuals problem, right? Like, and if you're obsessed about it, then, yep. you know, even if they're not direct payment, you know, direct pay to, for it, unlike my me in some cases, right? Um, I, I think if you were, Focusing on that, the rest will come. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I think it, it, the, the obsession side of it, it the, the idea, this whole concept, like we had on, you know, the fellows from, you know, we had Lee Shapiro and, you know, and then uh, from Livongo and, um, you know, Rob Garber. Rob, Rob Garber, yeah. Garber, one of the investors. And they talked about, you know, like their whole, the whole underlying story that the founder, Glenn Tolman, you know, was treating his son, you know, was, you know, taking his son's glucose strip, you know, a million times or something as a young, as a diabetic and was really trying to create, bring the product to the world that he would have wanted, you know, and, you know, wasn't there. And that, that, that's kind of this reservoir of like energy, you know, when you're kind of building these companies, you know, um, Absolutely. And that's that personal connection is that they, they have the personal connection and that helps drive forward. And I think knowing your limitations. So being obsessed with it and knowing where you can answer the questions, but where you can't answer the questions and where you need to need to go in and ask and, and iterate and better understand what somebody is truly going through. So, so, so like leaving on a, or maybe bringing it an, an inspirational note for, so for, so for, so for people that are involved in, um, so for like, we have a lot of probably people that are setting up companies and startups, and that would be kind of the digital health group. What, how, how do you, what's, what's, how would you, what, any words of wisdom for the digital health entrepreneur that's starting a company or started a company recently? Ooh, I like that question. Uh, so I would say, uh, and I'm going to tie this back to authenticity because I feel like it's been such a, a key theme that not, I know that's my business name too, but we have talked a lot about authenticity throughout this, uh, this podcast. 
Like I actually can't even take credit for it. It's a good colleague, a friend of mine, Aaron, he's amazing. Um, he came up with it, but, uh, so staying authentic to who you are, staying authentic to, um, you know, what you're setting out to do. And, and especially if you're in the digital health space, um, staying authentic to the patient and, and working authentically with patients and caregivers to, to drive outcomes. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> awesome. Thank that, you. On, on that note, uh, this was a really great pleasure to get to know you, Lily. It was awesome. Such a pleasure to get to know you too, Eugene. Jim, I know you and I know each other. Uh, I hope that we'll all get the chance to actually have a drink in person sometime. Sometimes. I don't know when, but sometime. <laughs> You gotta go. You gotta go see the FDA in a few minutes here. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm yes, off good to luck see with the that. FDA. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lily. Thank you. So, so.